The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. The Jay Hawk talking more aggressive action and faster rate hikes to fight inflation. The timeline Jay Powell is laying out now. Lawmakers in Florida signing off on stripping Disney World of its long-held special tax privileges. Former Disney World executive Lee Cockrell lays out the major fiscal and political ramifications. Elon Musk reportedly finding a new partner to help put the bill on his Twitter takeover bid. Congress set to return to Washington. Democrats looking to advance the president's agenda like Build Back Better. But is BBB already DOA? And your morning RBI going to introduce you to a red-hot part of this ice-cold stock market, we'll call it the snack attack trade. It is Friday, April 22nd, Earth Day, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Happy Friday. We made it, everybody. One more day to go. And it has been a very tough market, not only this week, but this entire month as of late. And right now, stock features are not giving us a real clear indication of which way they want to help you go. I would say they would be flat. They're a little more down than that. I'm trying to be a little more optimistic on a Friday. Dow futures off 60, NASDAQ off about one-tenth of 1%. Let's call that flat. Friday generosity. Well, of all the major averages, only the Dow is higher so far in April, and that's just barely. Mega cap names holding up better than anything else. Investors looking for safety. And going for the biggest of the big, you can see the big tech has been crushed. The NASDAQ 100 has been slammed. It is down 7.5% since March 30th. We have more crazy market stats like that, as well as some bright spots. It's not all negative. Coming up later in your morning RBI. Well, as we talked about earlier in the week, and maybe this could be an RBI, this year is also the first year since 1994 that the major stock averages and government bonds are both down at this time in the year. Usually stocks go down, bonds go up, and vice versa. Uh Uh-uh, not this year. Right now, yields, they are higher. In fact, the 10-year is just five ticks away from hitting 3%. In the oil market, crude oil is slightly down. Kind of an odd day for oil stocks on Thursday. Oil itself actually rose, but many oil stocks got creamed. The OIH, oil and gas ETF, Falling more than 13 bucks. Oil right now is at 101.75, down about 2%. Well, it has not just been a rough April here. European markets also taking a hit. As higher energy costs create real worries about a major economic slowdown, recession, or worse. All the major averages you can see are lower right now. Let's get more on your trade and a couple of key headlines with Juliana Tottlebaum in our London newsroom. Juliana, good morning. I- Brian. I think. 
Brian, well, it depends if you're long or short the market. We've got some pretty heavy selling pressure in Europe this morning. More than 1% worth of losses for the German, French, and Italian markets. A little bit more resilience in the Spanish, Swiss, and UK markets. But clearly, investors were listening closely to Christine Lagarde yesterday, who didn't rule out a July rate hike. So we're seeing a lot of action in fixed income, and that seems to be driving somewhat what we're seeing in equity markets. Here's the picture for sovereign bonds here in Europe. The German German 10-year bond yield has traded at the highest level since mid-2015 this morning. We were up around 97 basis points earlier. Now we're trading around 95 basis points. So bond yields have been rising uh, across Europe. We're also seeing a lot of weakness in sterling this morning. We got some weak UK retail sales data uh, that paint a a pretty downbeat picture of the UK economy. We're down about 1.1%. And then earnings. Can't forget about that. We heard from Caring, uh, among others, this morning in the luxury space. But Caring sales rose by double digits in the first quarter as strength in the U.S. and Europe offset COVID-related weakness in Asia. The luxury giant said revenue at its flagship Gucci brand grew by 13.4%, but they flagged some pretty um, pretty worrying signs out of China. So shares are down about 5%, especially on those China worries. All right, Juliana Tatelbaum and Lennon. Juliana, thank you. Have a great weekend. All right, now to some of this morning's other big headlines happening on a Friday, including the latest on the growing fight in Florida between lawmakers and Disney. Christina Partsonevelos is here with that and more. Christina, good, good Friday morning. Good morning, Brian. A bill stripping Walt Disney World of its designation as a special tax district is heading to the desk of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for his signature. Lawmakers approving the measure which removes the status, giving Disney the power to impose taxes, build roads, and control utilities on the lands where its theme park is. It's a privilege Disney has held for 55 years. The move, though, is widely seen as a retribution for Disney's opposition to a bill that bars Florida elementary schools from discussing sexual orientation. This bill could go into effect as soon as next year. French prosecutors have issued an international arrest warrant for former Nissan chief Carlos Ghosn. According to reports, the warrant was issued for over more than $16 million in questionable payments between the Renault-Nissan alliance that Ghosn once headed and an Omani company. A spokesperson for Ghosn tells Reuters his client was surprised by reports of the order. And Elon Musk, reportedly in talks with private equity firm Toma Bravo about partnering up for on his bid to take Twitter private. This, according to the New York Post, which says Toma Bravo executives are mixed on the idea, mainly because of Musk's erratic behavior and taste for controversial politics. Brian, the report, though, comes after security filings showed Musk has received commitments for $46.5 billion to help finance this potential deal. What do the kids say? I think it's it's getting real. Things are moving along. This could actually happen, say? or at least yeah. the fight oh, yeah, could. could accelerate. Well, if he's gotten this much uh, in terms of financing, and now you have all these other interesting uh, buyers, too, yeah. Hey, where there's money, there's a way. Isn't that some sort of old saying? I don't know. Christina Parks and Evelos, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, speaking of money, let's get back now to the markets. Turning tail yesterday, as Fed Chair Jay Powell all but confirmed more aggressive rate hikes are coming. As soon as the Fed's next meeting, that is in less than two weeks. Speaking on an IMF panel, Powell says he thinks it's appropriate to move a little more quickly. I also think there's something in the idea of front end loading whatever accommodation one thinks is appropriate. So, so that does point, that points there in the go. direction of, of 50 basis points being on the table. 
Certainly. We make these decisions at the meeting, and we'll make them meeting by meeting, but I, I would say that 50 basis points will be on the table for the May meeting. All right, let's talk more about all this and the macro markets with Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management and a member of the CNBC Financial Advisory Council. Uh, Ivory, welcome back. I'm not going to say that the Fed has lost the confidence of the markets or that they're irrelevant. They are. They matter a lot. But I would say this. Every single piece of note I read from Wall Street suggests that the bond market has already basically done the work of the Fed, that whatever the Fed does is in the rearview mirror because bonds and rates moving to where they are is really that part of the market just jump cutting in line of the Federal Reserve. What is your take on the Fed, inflation, and rates? Yeah, I think what's, what's happened is the bond market has priced in a very aggressive Fed, and the stock market has priced in a Fed that'll get more dovish and pivot um, once we start to see some of the ramifications of rate hikes. And so I think, as you alluded to, the Fed's in a really tight position because on one hand, you have real wages are negative, which is to say that, you know, if wages are going up by 5% and inflation is 8%, workers are taking a 3% haircut. Uh, And on on the other hand, you have an economy that will start to slow. um, And and you also have disinflation, which means that we'll have inflation. It just won't grow at the same rate. An example would be for oil to have be, remain inflationary, oil prices all per barrel about to be $144 a barrel. And all this is happening in the backdrop of a midterm election that's coming in six months. So the Fed is really in a tight spot. And I think we'll start to see this manifest itself in the stock market as it resolves uh, which direction they're going to they're going to go with or without all the, the, the very hawkish rhetoric that we're seeing out of the Fed. Yeah, and I, again, I don't want to be too tough on the Fed, but I feel like it's like the Fed kicked the gate open, all the hogs ran out, you know, in in inflation. And now they're kind of scrambling around trying to, you know, round up all these hogs and throw them back in the pen. In other words, they've lost control, putting it more bluntly. Do you feel that way? I mean, has the Fed, I don't want to say lost confidence, lost control? How do you view it? Yeah, I think it's it's a dollar late, a day late, a dollar short. They thought that the yeah. infl- inflation was transitory. Uh, it was not. And so here they are now trying to clean everything up, uh, even when inflation now has it's already happened. Right. An example would be the Mannheim index. So used car prices are actually starting to yeah. come down. Uh, oil prices won't keep going up at, at the same rate. So now we've got this inflation and now he's raising rates into an economy that's going to slow. An example, we, we've talked a lot about the $1.3 trillion in stimulus money that's gone away. That's 6% of our economy. But, you know, there's also this narrative that Americans have all this money saved and, and because of COVID. Well, dollar savings, not dollars, not savings rate, but dollar savings is lower than it was pre-pandemic. Uh, anybody who would have got a tax refund, they've already received this. All of the, the stimulus and all of the, the, the financial spending. It's already spent. Uh, And now it's starting to manifest itself in earnings. So now earnings are beating expectations. But so far, I think 67 companies have reported out of the S&P 500. Earnings year over year are down over 7%. So now you're seeing this earnings slowdown. You're going to start to see this economic slowdown as the Fed starts to raise rates. Very quickly, are we pricing in a recession? I don't think the recession is priced in if you look at stock prices. But I will say this. If you look at the S&P 500 down about 7 or 8%, that's a lot better than the NASDAQ, which is down, you know, 16, 17%. 
That's because inside the S&P, you have defensive positions like utilities, real estate investment trust, consumer staples. Those are defensive stocks. Yeah. So people will pay their light bill. They'll buy a toothpaste, but they may not go on vacation. So the stock market is showing you that we're going to have an economic slowdown. If yeah. it turns into a recession, we don't know that yet. Well, market seems like it's pricing something. And Ivory Johnson, appreciate you joining us. Trying to be optimistic. Hey, it's Friday. The weather's finally warming up. Trying to be a little more optimistic, Ivory. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again soon. Soon. Thank you. All right, everybody. Grab another cup of coffee because we have got a lot more to do on this Friday. And when we come back, your morning's big money movers, including in terms of one retailer tanking. It's your mystery chart after a C-suite shakeup. Plus, McDonald's firing back at Carl Icahn, saying his complaints over how they buy pigs is hogwash. Going green for the long haul on the Earth Day of the toy industry shaking up its decades-long practices to try, try, ditch the plastic. Good luck. We're back in a moment. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, time now for your Big Money Movers. Three key stock stories that are happening, literally happening right now. And stock number one is Snap. The parent of Snapchat posting a wider first quarter loss and revenue that missed forecasts. Snap blaming the impact of inflation on advertisers and privacy changes that Apple imposed last year. But he's blaming Apple. The stock is down about 2%. Stock number two down a lot more, and that's your mystery chart, and that is Gap. Clothing retailer slashing its first quarter sales forecast and replacing the head of its old Navy brand. Shares of the Gap are down about 12%. And stock number three, PPG. That is, of course, the paint maker. Shares getting a bit of a touch-up. As it says, first quarter revenue rose 11% as higher prices offset lower sales volumes. And the company, like many, plans to raise prices, citing energy costs. That stock up just over 1%. All right, on deck, Starbucks facing a growing unionization movement as another one of its high-profile stores holds a key vote. We'll tell you about that and more when we roll on right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Happy Friday, everybody. We made it. Today is Earth Day, the annual call for action to protect the planet. And the toy industry is trying to do its part, cutting the use of plastics and products and packaging and switching to more sustainable materials. Even as toy makers and retailers continue to face rising costs and delays of getting items from factories to stores. James Zahn, a senior editor at the Toy Insider, and joins us now. It's nice talk, James, but as the parent of a seven-year-old, somehow... Uh, every toy I get has about 900 layers of plastic. It takes an industrial blowtorch, if not a chainsaw, for me to open the thing. I inevitably end up cutting myself on the sharp plastic and then put it all in the recycling bin. Uh, are some companies doing it better than others? Well, first off, good morning. And yes, you're right. Um, I have two little ones. I have been the guy with the garden shears trying to cut through all of that. <clears throat> and what's you know. happening now is that, yes, I know firsthand, and we have finally turned a corner, I believe, where going green, being sustainable is not just a trend anymore. It's part of the business going forward. A lot of these companies, MGA Entertainment, Mattel, Hasbro, Spinmaster, they're all making moves to be fully sustainable by about 2030. And I think one of the biggest examples we could start with on something that has totally changed is from MGA, these LOL surprise dolls. These have been one of the hottest doll lines of the past four or five years, and they were known for being full of trash because the kids are unboxing these things. This is the new Earthlove uh, model. This, this is completely sustainable here. This ball is made of paper from like bamboo fibers and stuff. So now this is recyclable. And inside the, the little character here, this is uh, Grow Girl. She's a little gardener, has her little tools with her and things. So that's one example mm. of where all of the plastic stuff that was inside there, it's now all compostable, recyclable paper. Uh, other companies, there's a, there's a company called Big Potato that's part of Spin Master. They're doing games but they're doing this one game, one tree initiative where every game sold, they plant a tree. And then this too, herd mentality. If you buy the version that they sell on Amazon, it comes in, in an even smaller package that actually has no plastic whatsoever. Yeah. Then. Well, you know, listen, this all, James, oh, this all ahead. sounds, hold on. This all sounds, no, no, it's all, it's all, I, I love it, by the way. And then I feel your pain literally, you know, trying to rip open that plastic. It all sounds great. But I wonder if consumers are going to pay up. My guess is that's as good as it is for everything. It's going to cost more. We don't buy things from China because we want to. We buy things because consumers in America demand cheap. They want cheap stuff. They don't want to spend a lot of money. Many people don't have the money simply to spend. So will people pay up to do better? 
So that has been a concern. And a lot of times you can really see it in the independent toy stores, where if you put two similar products side by side, one is made in China, one is totally green and maybe made in the U.S. and it's $5 more, the customer is going to say, oh, I want to go green, but then they're going to go, I'm saving $5 here. Now what we're seeing is the technology of the production is finally coming down on this sustainable stuff a bit. And, of course, with all the supply chain nonsense that's happening, the cost of stuff that was being made overseas is increasing to the point where it's really washing out a lot of that financial upside of production in China and other Asian countries. So we're seeing reshoring happening and nearshoring. So there's a lot happening, and uh, it, it's sort of all working in tandem. But I believe consumers will pay more for now. But yeah. as this sustainable product takes the place of non-sustainable stuff, eventually they won't have a choice in maybe seven, eight years. Very quickly, can we talk Christmas? I know the audience is like, what? It's April 22nd. Why are you talking Christmas? You know why? Because if they don't buy the stuff now, they, my, my wife works at Consumer Products. Her company is already talking about the holidays. Are there going to be toys on the shelves December 25th, James? Absolutely. Christmas comes the same day every year, and the toy industry has this habit of reacting to challenges. It's very resilient, and if you look at the last like five years, it's one challenge after another after another. We lost Toys R Us, then there was the U.S.-China trade war, then COVID. Last year, supply chain. This year, it's still supply chain plus war on top of it. So these companies are reacting. They are taking a hit on this, but they're bringing merchandise in early. And we heard this week when Hasbro came out of the gate to start first quarter earnings yeah. season, they're bringing in product early. They're also looking at about a $100 million hit because of the Russia-Ukraine situation. So there's all of these things happening again on top of each other, but retailers are getting smarter. Consumers are getting smarter. They learned last year to buy early, and we hear this every year, you know, hey, buy early to avoid disappointment for the kids. Well, now you really have to, or you're going to lose out on the selection. Yeah. Yeah, you got to talk about Christmas in April. Hard to believe, but yes, true. James Zahn, the toy, in toy insider, I love talking to you about it, uh, because these are real things that parents have to deal with. By the way, good luck in Absolutely. giving those packages the other ones open, James. Take care. <laughs> wear, wear gloves. That plastic is sharp. Literally, you can buy the world's sharpest knife, and it's in less packaging than a toy for a six-year-old. Anyway, still to come on this Friday, the continued rise of borrowing costs, delivering a mixed picture for banks. Dom Chu is here to lay out who may win from it all. And as we head to break the future slightly down, a gentle nudge. Be sure to follow our podcast, I'm told. It's pretty good. We're back right after this. Hi, welcome and welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. It is 527 on this Friday morning. Good morning for joining us, or maybe good evening if you're in Asia. Let's get right now to your Friday money because it has been, as you know, a very tough market this year. Futures right now indicating may not get a lot of bet, a lot better today. They are down just a touch. Don't want to make too much of it. Dow futures down 45, about one-tenth of one percent for the NASDAQ and the S&P. So like I said at the beginning of the show, let's call it flat, maybe a little Friday generosity 
All this coming off another down day for most stocks and indexes. And I hate to say it, but you already know it. April has been a brutal month and it's also been a tough year. And if you're not keeping score, don't worry. We get it, but we are keeping score. That's our job. So uh, turn away if you don't like ugly numbers. Here's where we stand so far in 2022. The NASDAQ 100 is down 16% this year. It's down 19% from its all-time high back in November. The Russell 2000, the small cap index, it's down 11% just this year. The S&P 500 off 8%. And what a divergence because the XLE Energy ETF, it is up 40%. Look at that outperformance between oil and gas, thought dead on arrival, right? And big tech is more than 50%, that divergence, in just four months' time. Truly remarkable. Also, as we talked about earlier in the show, this year also, the first year since 1994, that the major stock averages and government bonds are both lower at this point in the year. And bonds dropping once again as yields, they go up. The 10-year yield just five ticks away from hitting 3%. So with all the talk about interest rates over the last couple of months, there has been, rightfully, an increased interest in the banks and how their stocks are performing. Well, there's a divergence there, too. Dom Chu has more on that in this month's Sectornomics. Dom, good morning. Good morning, Brian. A divergence in that financial force, so to speak, because those interest rates are such a big part of that story. As you point out, you talk about some of the major market cap parts of the market versus the S&P 500 overall. If you look at the financials versus the broader S&P 500, you can see here on a year-to-date basis just so far in 2022, the financials are actually outperforming. And a lot of that may have to do with some of the move higher in interest rates, that may be one of the drivers because people view higher interest rates as perhaps one perhaps positive sign for those banks and lenders out there. The S&P 500 is certainly an underperformer versus the financials. If you take a look, though, at that interest rate trade, the one part of the kind of the equation that a lot of folks are focused on is the gap between longer term interest rates and shorter term ones, the yield curve and the steepness or flatness there of, of it. I don't it doesn't matter which part of this the curve you look at. If you look at the 10 year, two year spread, that kind of indicator has shown a flattening and bank results have been maybe tied a little bit more towards it. Take a look right now among the biggest banks in America. The folks over at Y Charts, which is a market data and analytics firm, took a look at the trading relationship or correlation between that spread of 10-year, two-year yields versus how bank stocks trade. Right now, the, the, the big banks that have the tightest trading correlation or relationship is J.P. Morgan at a correlation coefficient of 0.89. Usually, it's about 0.33. Now, take a look at some of the bigger ones out there. Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they're all trading fairly tightly to that spread. But on average, over the last, say, 10 or 12 years, it's not quite as tight. So right now, big focus, Brian, on that spread. Can you be more specific? 0.89, 0.33, I love it. All right, Dom, how important is the 10-year Treasury yield to the bank trade right now? Because there's so many, we say bank like it's all the same thing. There's a big difference between Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, their banks, and a bank with three locations in your small town street corner, right? I mean, very different. So You're right. Very different. And we talked about the trading relationship between the spreads. One of the things that you want to look at right now, 
Interestingly enough, we mentioned that 10-year long bond. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note is actually now inversely correlated in, in some ways with some of those big banks. So while we do have a positive trading relationship, you know, banks kind of go as the Treasury yield spread does, with regard to just the yield on the 10-year, it seems to not be having as much of an impact directly on some of these big banks. It's certainly a relationship we'll keep an eye on. So the folks over at White Chart's doing a pretty interesting job there looking at trading relationships. Brian, back over to you. And they, they do do a great job over there at White Chart's. Dom Chu, thank you very much, my friend. Have a great day and a good weekend. All right, also happening now, Starbucks facing yet another unionization vote as the fight between the company and some workers heats up. Christina Partsanevolos is back with that and more. Christina. Yeah, the workers at a second Starbucks location in Seattle have joined the nationwide wave of unionization at the coffee giant. Employees at the Starbucks Reserve Roastery, you know that really fancy one, voting 38 to 27 to make that move. Starbucks saying it will respect the process and will bargain in good faith with the union, hoping... The union does the same with the company. This marks the 25th store out of 27 holding votes to say yes to unionizing. McDonald's is calling Carl Icahn's push over what he calls the fast foods giant sustainability issues logistically unfeasible. Icon is pushing McDonald's to stop buying pork supplies that house animals in crates. The company says that would also be prohibitively expensive. It says while it cares about the health and welfare of the animals in its supply chain, it objects to Carl Icahn's calls for new commitment. And former President Obama is calling for greater regulation on tech companies to combat disinformation on social media. Speaking at an event yesterday, the former president said that the spread of disinformation online is harming American democracy. He also called on Congress to consider reforms to Section 230, which allows for content moderation, but also protects platforms from liability for users' posts. Brian? All right, Christina Partsonevolos. Christina, thank you very much. This next story kind of goes in line with that a bit. Let's talk Disney and Florida. Florida state legislature yesterday were voting to revoke Disney World's designation as a special tax district. That is a huge economic privilege that Disney has held since the 1960s, and it effectively allows the company to sort of self-govern and issue debt through a special tax entity. That bill, called the Parental Right and Education Act, now heads the Governor Ron DeSantis' desk, it could be set to go into effect as soon as next year. Joining us now is former Walt Disney World Resort Executive Vice President Lee Cockrell. Lee, uh, welcome. What does this mean? Tell us about this. I think the, the, the special tax district is actually called Reedy Creek. I uh, have no idea why, but that's the name. What exactly does that mean for Disney, for the community, and for the state of Florida? Well, it's like a, a local government that manages all fire protection, uh, highway construction, uh, permitting for new construction at Disney. All of those uh, public facilities are managed by Disney. And uh, there's a constant uh, growth going on at Disney with building. And uh, over the years, it's just been uh, they just do a great job of uh, uh, getting this done, getting it done in a very quick way. Uh, I always said Disney, when they build a highway, they do it very quickly and uh, it's done before you know it. And uh, it, uh, it's it's uh, fire protection. It's one of the safest places in the world, I would tell you. And it also uh, is the safest zip code in America. And I think all of that is because Disney is all over these kinds of things like safety and uh, yeah. and uh, those kinds of things. And uh, it works. 
Yeah, and please, if I'm wrong about any of this, Lee, correct me, because I'm not going to profess to be some kind of expert on this. As I understand it, Disney World itself is in two counties. It's so huge that it actually crosses counties. So generally, if a company, a county wants to build a road that goes into another county, you know, one county or the state will issue debt and they've got to kind of work together or the state does it. Disney, through this tax entity, can kind of do it on its own and theoretically everybody benefits. If this special tax district ends up going away, do you think that the Orlando community is going to suffer through, make it harder to get things like roads built, but also have higher tax bills? Well, that money has to go somewhere, and Disney uh, bills things about 10 times quicker than local government can, and they can uh, issue these bonds and get the funding and get it done. And so often local government has to uh, build a mile at a time as they can get funding for the next year. Uh, Absolutely, it's going to be an issue. And uh, I'm not even sure why it happened, what what this is all about. It uh, it was mind-boggling to me. I was there for 16 years, and uh, I never heard anything about any of these issues. Ever. So uh, this is all uh, all new news. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that. So, yeah, I, Lee, I mean, gosh, I, I'll kind of follow along with you there. Not like I'm, I didn't work at Disney World. Of course, I've been there. I grew up near Disneyland, but that's California. Totally different thing. Uh, I had no idea this existed. I'm not going to lie and say that I knew. I'd never heard of this special tax, this Reedy Creek or any of it before about a week ago. Uh, what do you make of the fight? Well, I think uh, it's pretty obvious what it's about. I mean, uh, Disney had no choice. Bob Chepik had no choice but to uh, stand up for the Disney values, which is basically, and I think people around the world appreciate this, is that you go to Disney, we uh, we respect everybody. We treat everybody the same. Uh, uh, it's a place where everybody matters, and they, they know they matter, and uh uh, so I'm not sure what this is all about, except uh, it has to be a political issue. I mean, if you want to if you want to get uh, U.S. total population recognition, uh, attack Disney. <laughs> Everybody in the United States knows Disney and your name's going to get in there. And I, I think there's got to be something attached to this to, uh, for name recognition if uh, yeah. the governor's going to run for uh, president. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me since we've never heard yeah. about it before. And we'll leave it. Yeah, and I uh, researching it, I realized there's also a couple. There's Disney's not the only one. I think Daytona Speedway may have one. Uh, there's a couple of others in the state. This is not unique to Disney, but they're the only ones being talked about right now. We'll see where it ends up. Lee Cockerell, longtime uh, Walt Disney World executive. Lee, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good Friday and a good weekend. All right, coming up is President Biden's Build Back Better bill. Already dead in arrivals, Democrats face a potential wipeout in November. Congress coming back on Wednesday. We'll talk their to-do list with Ed Mills right after this. All right, welcome back. Congress getting back to work Monday after a two-week Easter break, and their agenda is full from Fed confirmations to budget reconciliation to the president's Build Back Better plan But what can taxpayers actually hope Congress can get done? Joining us now is Raymond James, Washington policy analyst and managing director, Ed Mills. Ed, great to have you back on. Things heat back up on Monday. What is job one or job one, two for Congress right now? Yeah, Brian, I think for the next month, uh, maybe next several months, it's really three things. Number one, confirmations. 
Number two, a bill related to U.S.-China competition. And the third is what, if anything, uh, Congress can get done through reconciliation. And really, Congress looking at what can be done on inflation and what they can do to support this economy. Yeah, and, and it's there's so much out there. But at the same time, Ed, you've got the shadow. I mean, I know it's only April. I get it. And the midterms are November. But the shadow of that election already seems to be looming large. Is it going to change what happens with Congress as a lot of Democrats and some Republicans who are in trouble in the polls start to maybe shift or maybe decide they don't want to do a lot? Yeah, Brian, this is what happens every election year. Um, Usually um, we look at Memorial Day as one of the uh, unofficial demarcations of when things can possibly get done. Uh, that demarcation, Brian, is probably moving further out, maybe as far as August before folks really get into the fall campaign mode uh, because reconciliation remains on the table. And as we've discussed many a times, that's only a 50-50 vote. So uh, Democrats are going to have to see what they can kind of build that fragile flower of consensus, what can Manchin and Cinema uh, support in the middle, uh, what will the progressives uh, support on the left? Uh, I think if there is a bill that gets done there, uh, it's really going to be energy focused, uh, healthcare focused. Uh, there are some expiring healthcare provisions, such as the subsidies for the exchanges. Uh, so the timeline for what can get done there is a little bit longer. But you're absolutely right, Brian. Um, we're getting into what's known as the silly season in DC. Is that once that starts? Nothing of substance really does get achieved. Does something get done, though? You think Build Back Better does pass in some probably massively stripped down form? Yeah, so I think that the most likely thing to happen are the confirmations. You highlighted that. Uh, Jerome Powell's actually not yet reconfirmed. There's five nominations for the Fed there. Uh, There is a real desire to give... Uh, Lena Khan at the FTC, her fifth commissioner, so she has a majority vote. After that, the next most likely thing is getting a U.S.-China competition bill. Uh, that would support the semiconductor industry with 50-plus billion dollars. Uh, there's a number of things in there that could be more concerning to tech, such as an outbound investment restriction. And then on reconciliation, I think the over-under people are putting on that, Brian, is about $600 billion dollars. Um, there is a chance, and I think it's going to be built by the fact that if they don't get something done, these are things that won't be done for maybe another decade. So Democrats are going to feel the loss uh, much greater if they don't get something done there. So there's going to be growing optimism. We have to see if that fragile flower of consensus, Brian, can actually come together. Yeah, it's going to be a heck of a time to watch coming out of a two-week break with so much certainly at stake and inflation in the midterms looming large. Ed Mills, always appreciate your views. The the notes, always a must-read. Ed, I appreciate it. Have a great day and a good weekend. Thank Thank you. you. All right, Hondek, your morning RBI and some crazy stock stats, including what we're going to call the snack attack trade. You'll see what we mean coming up. Plus, Dr. J, John Najarian is in the house what he sees going on right now and what he's doing with Netflix stock. And all April, we're celebrating Financial Literacy Month and featuring some more CBC contributors. Here's Gina Sanchez with how she learned about money. I learned about money because I grew up poor with a single mother in South Texas. 
And every time we went out to a restaurant or made any purchase, my mother would take out a napkin and do the budget for the month to determine if we could make that purchase. And that's how I naturally began budgeting from the time I was 10. All right, given all the market action this year, we thought today's RBI should be about, you know, the market. Just kind of an old school dive into some of the, the most random but interesting things that are going on right now. Some stuff that you may not know. Well, first, out of the S&P's 11 different stock sectors, three of them are actually higher this year. Even in a bad year, three are up. You know, of course, energy is up. It's crushing. It's up 40% since January 1st. But utilities are up 5.5% and consumer staples up 4.5% this year. They've done okay. The worst group is what S&P blandly calls communication services. It is down 21% this year. And the worst three stocks in that worst sector are names you know. Match Group down 41% this year. Meta, Facebook down 43.5%. And Netflix, it is down 64% since the beginning of the year. Okay. So, a lot of pain on the screen, and we don't want to end the week like that for you, especially on a Friday. So, let's end on maybe some bright spots. First, did you know 74 S&P 500 stocks actually hit 52-week or all-time highs yesterday? 74, pretty amazing, given the lousy tape overall. And there are some big names making new highs that you may not have heard about. Coca-Cola, Hershey. And spam maker Hormel, all at new highs. That's why we're calling it the snack attack trade. And many hotel stocks, Marriott, Host Hotels, and Lowe's, L-O-E-W-S, also at new highs as our GOAT get out and travel trade seems to work. But who are the best of the best, the shining stars of the stock market so far this year? Well, they all have one thing in common, that, of course, is energy. Here is the top performer this year in the three major S&P indexes. In the S&P 500, it is Occidental Petroleum. It's up 104%. It is the only stock that has doubled this year. The S&P Midcap 400, it's EQT. The CEO of that company on this program a few times recently. EQT up 93%. But the best of the best is the S&P 600 small cap star R. P.C. Inc. Who? It's a small cap oil and gas driller that only a handful of analysts cover, and it has jumped 153% this year. R.P.C. is based in that hotbed of oil and gas, Atlanta. All right, so there's a lot of stuff that we just threw at you. So let's bottom line it, because it is very early. Number one, conventional wisdom said that oil and gas stocks were dead money. So maybe that wisdom wasn't all that wise. It's a good lesson. And two... EQT is based in Pittsburgh, and as we said, RPC is based in Hotlanta. So sometimes you got to literally look where no one else may be looking to find the winners. And we're going to keep looking for you. Random, but interesting. All right, so let's bring in now the aforementioned John Najarian and see what he thinks about all this. He is co-founder of MarketRebellion.com, a CNBC contributor, joining us on the newsline. Uh, John, we know energy's been hot. Facebook has stunk up the joint. What do you make about all those random but hopefully interesting stats? Well, we've had some uh, pretty interesting activity in that EQT, perhaps because you've been talking about it or because people just really need energy. And uh, 
you know, one of the biggest natural gas plays out there is EQT, and it certainly has had a nice move uh, for, for the year. And even year over year, I think it's 150%. So year to date, 96%. I think most of us would take any stock that does that. Are you guys at Market Rebellion still seeing, you know, either upside call interest or any kind of option interest in uh, some oil and gas names? Or do you think, based on what you're seeing, John, that many of these may have been played out? I mean, how high can they go? Um, I think they can go a lot higher still. Uh, that's my personal opinion. We've seen a lot of uh, uh, people uh, placing big bets months out into the future. And I think one of the reasons for that, Brian, is that in all likelihood, we're going to see these sanctions and or just uh, uh, the, the pure demand that is out there for energy right now continue for months and months, perhaps even years. Um, it's, it's one of those things that people were surprised how quickly the market uh, decided that we're going to have to pay a lot more for energy. And then even things like releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve aren't even slowing it down. Yeah. I mean, we're still seeing just a big jump in prices, uh, and I think you're going to see that for, like I say, months and months, if not years. Yeah, and this big new SPR release hasn't even happened. It really starts, there's an ongoing one with a big one the president announced starts up on May 15th. John, I want to talk about the VIX and volatility. That's kind of where you make your living in parts of the options market. The VIX is up from where it was, but it's only at 23, and I'm a little confused by that because we've got this, the war, Putin's war in Ukraine. And let's be clear, you talked about energy, John. I think, and this is my opinion, if anybody cares, the very real risk of a major recession, if not worse downturn in Europe because of energy prices, which are six, seven times even more than that higher than we are paying here. I'm not saying the market is calm, but are you surprised the VIX is only at 23 or is that too high? Um, I was surprised when it was low. I was surprised when it was 20. Uh, 23 yeah. is still uh, not very high. But uh, I think one of the keys, Brian, that people like you and I look for is what are the futures doing? Because the, the spot VIX is what you and I quote most of the time. But uh, the futures have been up there at 27 the whole time. So that's telling you that people don't believe that any short-term moves are what we should be watching. We should be paying attention to further out the curve. Uh, seeing higher volatility because of the uncertainty, yeah. because of some of those issues. Well said. It was a 36. Very, very quickly, John, about 20 seconds. A little birdie told me you're buying either Netflix or Netflix calls. Yeah, um, and there, there hasn't been heavy institutional buying of that. Of course, there's been just the opposite. Uh, but uh, sometimes you do have to buy when things, you know, when there's blood in the streets, to quote Warren Buffett. So I did buy Netflix calls, and I did sell uh, calls against it. Uh, I think that's going to continue to work, but I do think that Netflix isn't going to just go straight back up. I think it's going to be a yeah. long slog for them becoming a uh, ad-supported company. Yeah, and as Tom Lee in his note last night pointed out, this is actually the third 70% drawdown for Netflix in the last 20 years. 
I, I have no idea. It's fallen 70% three to, or twice earlier, and now this time, and it's rebounded. We'll see. John and Jerry, we appreciate you joining us, my friend. Have a great day and a good weekend. Take care. You too, bro. So good stuff there by yeah, good stuff there by Tom pointing out Netflix has fallen seventy percent three times in its history. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you back here on Monday morning. Hope you have a great day and a great weekend. But don't go anywhere because Swap Box is next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at five a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.